0: on microphone. All right. So shock is, um, in my opinion, my opinion only is that shock is probably one of the areas that in healthcare, that if you understand and have a well, if you have a concept about shock as it gets very deep, that you will probably be able to handle anything in EMS. And really, and a lot of the things that we deal with in healthcare, no matter where you go. Because shock is just that important of an area. And the things that we're going to take a look at here, um, I, first off, I'm not going to use all of the slides because I feel that I need to like draw every now and then. And first off, what is shock? Inadequate cellular perfusion. So what the heck does inadequate cellular perfusion mean? Yeah, so it doesn't, so the requirements of the body are not being met. And that means that perfusion is pretty much low. So with that, that means that if we don't have enough perfusion, or you will hear the term that they're using here is hypoperfusion, meaning low perfusion, that it means that if we don't do something about this, cellular injury or death is actually going to occur. Now this stuff usually occurs in stages, and the earlier that we, t- that we identify problems with this, the better off the patient's going to be, the better off that we are going to be able to help handle our patients. Diffusion, if you recall, diffusion is the ability to move oxygen and carbon dioxide across the walls of the alveoli. Remember that they are gases, so they're actually moving From areas where there's fluid, that would be where the capillaries are, to the area where the alveoli are, where there is no fluid. That is essentially a gas. So we're diffusing across there. Diffusion goes from an area of higher concentration of the molecules to an area of lower concentration. So if you think about it from whether or not your internal or external respiration, internal is where? Okay, specifically where? In the the Nope. The alveoli. Nope. How about I give you this? External respiration is at the alveoli level. So, therefore, where would internal be? The cellular level. Would be at the cellular level. That's where we run into a big problem. Because we don't know whether or not perfusion is occurring there. So, it is all about concentrations. So if at that cellular level there's not enough, there's not hardly any molecules of oxygen and along comes a red blood cell, what's going to happen? Hey, look, there's room over there. And what do they do? They all hop off there. They go into the cell. They go from an area of higher concentration where they're all on the top of the red blood cell to an area of lower concentration because there's just a whole bunch of seats available in that little theater. Right? That's where they head. Same thing happens, though, whenever we are exchanging gases later and we want to get rid of carbon dioxide. There's more carbon dioxide in the cell because cellular respiration occurred, and therefore we emit carbon dioxide. And it now pushes it out to the cell, or I'm sorry, to the red blood cell, and it is then transferred to the lungs and all this occurs again. It gets to the outside environment. There's a problem with this when we get into shock. And it's our job to help identify this stuff a lot earlier. If we can't get rid of carbon dioxide, what happens to the waste? If we cannot get rid of that carbon dioxide, then what happens to that waste product? It builds up. up. And is that a good or a bad thing in our body? It's It's pretty bad. So that means that when that stuff builds up, it's kind of like garbage building up at your house. You miss garbage day, and it builds up a little more, and it builds up a little more. Or actually, let's make it even better. It's like doing dishes. I'll do that later, and what happens? Dad gets mad, yeah, Okay. The dishes just pile up. So when we look at shock, it is really a collapse. The cardiovascular system has failed in one way, shape, or form, and it's because of inadequate circulation. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. When we look at shock, there's three areas. We call it the perfusion triangle. Okay, the perfusion triangle looks at one area is, what's the heart like? Is the heart itself actually able to pump? If it can't pump, then I have a failure there. I can look at the blood vessels. I have to look at the container. Are they intact? If they're not intact, this could be from blood loss. Maybe they're severed. Or it could be from the fact that maybe those vessels suddenly went from being normal to they're suddenly really, really big. And the last one is looking at blood. Do I have enough blood? Do I have enough fluid? Now, there's another way that you can look at this and maybe it would help make sense as well. Ooh, come on, draw. Draw. It doesn't want to draw the wheels. <laughs> Okay, think of the pump as also being a fire engine. It's like, why are you holding his hand? I realized that you were checking his pulse. Bad drawing of a fire engine, but it gives you the idea that it is the same thing. It's a pump. For that pump to work, I need to be able to have water. and I also need to be able to have hoses. The thing about fire engines is that they have various size hoses. So even if you're not in the fire service, if you've gone down the road or you saw something on TV, you see these guys pull this hose out and they're holding it and they open up this little nozzle and water comes out. Then you've also seen the big hoses that are going down the center of the road and they're really big and typically yellow and you're like, holy crap, look at, that, look at that hose. There's different kinds, definitely different than your garden hose. So it gives you the idea that your vessels are the same way. They are various sizes. Okay? The pump, we know that we have to have water in it. The heart has to have blood in it. We can have enough water. We can have good hoses. But if we don't have a pump that actually works, nothing's going nothing's to happen. We can take out the water and allow the pump and the hoses to still work. You're not going to do anything because what are you missing? The water. I can have enough blood. I can have enough of the pump, but I don't have enough of the hoses to work right. That could become a problem as well. So in a perfusion triangle, you need to have three of these things to work all the time. When there's a problem with one of them, that's when we have an issue. That's when we start going down this pathway of shock. When you start into shock, I was explaining this to my paramedic students the other night. When you go into shock, the body has recognized that there's a problem. And it tries to protect itself. And a way that it protects itself is to maintain a blood pressure. So we like to have that blood pressure being within as closest to normal limits as possible. So that means that as response, it is that, oh, Damn, that sympathetic nervous system comes back into play. It recognizes that there's not enough blood coming to the brain or there's not enough blood going to specific organ systems. So one of the first things that happens is is that it detects this, it releases epinephrine, it causes the heart rate to increase, and in return, the blood pressure goes up just a little bit. It maintains it. This will continue until the system fails. And when the system fails, the blood pressure goes to crap. So now if you go back to what we just learned a little bit about patient assessment, why do you think it's important to check vital signs? Okay, so what would be one of my first signs of shock? Based off of what we just covered thus far. If I have poor perfusion, I'm not getting enough blood to the brain. I might might have cyanosis, but what else might happen? I could get confused because I don't have enough blood going to the brain, so I could become a little bit confused. Yes? Um, probably not going to, could pass out, depends on what the issue is. Yep. Huh? Oh, not just cold hands, but what else might be cold? What else? My whole, my whole skin, right? It starts to get cold. And the reason it starts to get cold is, is that we now start to see that the body is saying, hmm, your skin, can your skin and bones survive without blood and oxygen for a period of time? Okay, how about this? Can your brain Your heart and your lungs survive without blood and oxygen for a period of time. Oh, no. So which one is the most important? The heart, the brain, and one more. The lungs. So therefore, my body or our bodies start to say, "Um, you don't need the skin. Ideally, the skin and bones, or I'm sorry, yes, skin, bone, muscle, Usually goes about six hours without perfusion and you're still okay. That's when damage starts to occur. The brain, the heart, the lungs, less than six minutes. Get to the kidneys, you're talking maybe an hour, maybe a little less. So the body starts to decide about perfusion. And it says, skin, we like you, you do a lot for us, but right now uh, you got to sacrifice a little bit. So we start to see changes in their skin. We reach down and feel for a radial pulse and we notice that that heart rate is fast. So now instead of it being between 60 and 100 as it is supposed to be, it's now 110. And you go, well, it's only 110. It's only 10 points above normal. But yet, I bet you uh, each time we did a pulse in here, nobody was over a hundred. So that is not a normal thing. Even if it's only ten points over, that's something that's abnormal. We have to explain why. So if they're tachycardic, I worry about that. Blood pressure. Typically, it's 120 over 80 is what everybody says is normal. If their blood pressure. In many of you, is like 126, 128. It's not that it's horrible, but it's up a little bit. That could be the response of the tachycardia that's occurring. So now we're starting to see that the body, we're interpreting it now. We're saying, ha-ha, oh, there's some things that are ongoing. There's this thing known as the pulse pressure. Pulse pressure is the difference between the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure. So what there would be the difference between that? Hmm? Mhm. Mhm. They kind of give you a little hint here. If that pulse pressure, though, is less than 25, that could become a problem. So we call that a narrowing of the pulse pressure. This is why we encourage you to take a top number and a bottom number. You will probably find individuals that will tell you, just give me the top number they would indicate that instead of it's a blood pressure of 120 over 80, these are the people that will tell you, oh, it's just 120 by palp. Meaning that they do it a different way. And we'll talk about that later, right? But basically all they do is get the top number. Doesn't tell me a whole lot. The reason that we wanna make sure that you're aware of pulse pressures is because this will start to get narrower meaning that these numbers here will come closer together, meaning that this number drops. So instead of it being 40, maybe it drops to 30. It will drop or it will become closer together in individuals who may be on blood pressure medicine. I think I said yesterday that if I were to find out who was on blood pressure medicine, it would most likely be people in this area. They're on what's referred to as a beta blocker. Is this test issues? Mm, I don't think I'd put it in a test, but is it real world experience that you need to know about? Yes. These are medications that you should be able to remember. They end in LOL. So why should you be able to remember that? It is funny. It's laugh out loud, right? Hmm. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They end in LOL. Uh-huh. So if you hear a medication that says metoprolol, it ends in LOL. So when you look at people's medications, or they tell you about this, they they use this metoprol something, and we see that we use more generic names than anything. Even a trade name medication that's on a bottle, and we'll talk, we'll we'll see more about those later, but the trade name is basically Tylenol. The generic for it is acetaminophen. Is that right? I guess I always get them in Advil mixed up. I don't know why. I saw a bunch of people go like this, so I'm good. Okay? So that's the difference. So usually you see that they have those on the bottle. They tell you what the generic name is. So when we look at people's medications, if you see LOL, any medication ends in LOL, LOL is a beta blocker and, therefore, most likely is going to help control the blood pressure. Those people do not get their heart rates typically above 100 if they take it correctly. So their heart rates typically don't go very fast. So the tachycardia may not be a good thing for us to look at the narrowing of the pulse pressure will occur earlier than the tachycardia. So that's why we want to make sure that we do that all the time. Check that blood pressure, top number and bottom number. I'm such an artiste. Okay. So the blue on the right is representing the veins. The red on the left is representing the, the, uh, arteries. Then once you get into the middle where you see that yellow blob going around that is actually a capillary. I know it's really good, right? That yellow blob in the middle is a cell. Now, for your imagination, take that cell and multiply it by about 1,000, and they're all in that little area. So what happens is blood is coming in from the artery. okay so it's coming from the artery it comes in here and it's supposed to go into the capillaries and it comes back out and it goes back out to the vein and the blood is then taken back to the heart where it's all reperfused and everything is good to go in our capillaries though we have sphincters. Go ahead. You can all laugh. Okay. So there's multiple sphincters that are in the body. I swear to God, I got to put the video in here on this because of Sheldon Cooper and, uh, Leonard Hofstadter when he decided he was not going to leave his house. If you've ever seen the big watch, the big bang theory, he's driving down the road and he turns him he turns this remote control thing on and he goes, wah. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And he said something about the sphincters. And he goes, do you know that in a human body, there's how many sphincters? Okay. Well, we have multiple sphincters. The most biggest sphincter that everybody thinks about is at your butt. Right. We have multiple other sphincters that are in the, in the body. You do have an esophageal sphincter, which I forgot, I forgot to bring up yesterday when we were doing airway. If you squeeze that baggy valve thing too quickly, it will actually open up the esophageal sphincter and put more air into the belly. What happens when I put more air into a 2 liter bottle of soda? It'll pop, right? And uh, the belly's not going to pop, but what's it going to do? It's going to find the area of least resistance. It's going to go from an area of higher concentration to an area of lower concentration. <laughs> and we're going to see that they're going to start puking. And who's on the other end? Us. Yeah. So, don't let the you don't want them to puke. It can happen. So anyway, there are sphincters that are located in the capillaries. and these sphincters are right at the beginning, which are then referred to as precapillary, and right at the end, which are called post-capillary. So we have precapillary sphincters, post-capillary sphincters. When somebody goes into shock, we screw those things up. Those things are designed to constrict and open up based off of blood flow, based off of how well people are perfusing. And the problem is, is that do you remember that? Uh, what was that? We said, uh, um, I think I kind of did it like this. I said, you guys are doing the seesaw thing back and forth. I said, this was what? The pH, the pH and that it is regulated by what? The blood, right? So the blood regulates all that stuff. Well, what happens if my waste product that can't get out is building up? What happens to this? It starts to go to one side. As a result of that, these sphincters start to do really weird things, such as this one, actually this one, will start to tighten up, and it doesn't allow blood to come back out. But allows blood to continue to flow in. After a brief period of time, this one shuts down too. Now what's sitting in here? A bunch of blood. Oh, what can we color that one? That orange. So as this all sits in here. What happens to it? Yeah, so what happens to the waste? All right, so you all were look pretty damn happy yesterday when I was showing you the video of touching the butt from Finding Nemo. So that means that most of you probably have seen Finding Nemo. How did they try to get out of the fish tank? They put a rock where? In the filter. And what happened? It got dirty and they were making slime angels and everything. Okay. Right. Guess what is happening in this capillary? It's getting dirty, just like we have the same issue going on when uh, we were looking at Finding Nemo. So all this stuff builds up in there. So the orange stuff that's in there is the waste product. And then all of a sudden, all these little red dots that you see in there. What happens when blood sits still? It clots. So all of a sudden, everything starts to normalize a little bit as the patient's now being taken care of. Now remember, I said this is not, this is at a single cell, this is at a single cellular level. Multiple cells make up an organ. So multiply this by a thousand times. Are we in a good situation? No. Absolutely not. So what happens whenever these sphincters open up? Huh? It's not gonna get clogged. What's that? It's going to send blood clots body. Yeah, it'll send all these blood clots and all this bad stuff through the rest of your body. So this stuff is gonna to have to come back out and now it goes this way. It goes back to the heart. All those little blood clots build up and they may actually go into different organ systems. And when they build up into different organ systems, more clots that build up in those little organ systems start to cause the organ systems to fail. And when multiple organ systems fail, we have a disease process that is called multi-organ dysfunction syndrome. And you may see it referred to as M-O-D-S. And you will hear people say that they die to mods. Here's the problem. This stuff occurs Later. As an EMS provider, if we treat shock early, we help prevent this. But the problem is, is that we're an immediate society. We are in emergency medicine because we want to see things happen right now. And we have very short attention spans. So if something doesn't happen right away, we move on to something else. That's also part of human nature. But if we ventilate them properly, we keep them warm properly, and we give them oxygen appropriately, we help reduce that right there within five minutes of getting there. We can literally reverse shock or help stabilize shock for people that in six weeks from now are surviving because of what we did. But the problem is we don't get to see it all the time. So therefore, we're like, oh, we didn't do anything. Yes, you did. We're working with the cellular level at that point. Did you have a question? Oh yeah, I did. So, a like, person is in a cardiac arrest, and uh, like nobody's ventilating for them. So, like three minutes in, are they going into shock? Okay, so they already are in shock by definition because they're not; getting, the cells aren't getting oxygen. There you go. So they're not perfusing. So when we walk in the door, the first thing we do when we say, sir, sir, are you okay? They're laying there. What's happening to all the blood? It's just sitting there. So we go, call for help. Get me an AED. Reach down, feel for a pulse. There's no pulse. One, two, three, four. We start doing CPR. What's happening to perfusion? It's moving. What happened to the oxygen that was already in in the body at that point? It's getting circulated. So therefore, when we stop and give two breaths, we're just adding a little bit more to it. Okay. That's all we're doing. We're making perfusion. So with that, though, we only are causing about 30%. We're only providing about 30% cardiac output. So it's not the greatest, but it's something. Is there a carbon dioxide exchange to whenever you ventilate? Or does yes. It? Okay. Because we're, we're creating, we're now becoming the heart. And we're helping become the lungs. And so we're pumping everything. So, really, if you think about it, the only part that we're not doing in the perfusion triangle is we're the pump. And we're, so you got the pump, the blood, and the vessels. We play with all three of those things in a cardiac arrest. We're the pump. We hope that they have enough fluid. If not, I may be able as a paramedic to give them some fluid. And then I play with the vessels by giving them certain drugs. That's it they are literally in shock cardiac arrest is cardiogenic shock there's a failure of the pump so you're like oh shit i'm learning something if you didn't already know that okay hey we got to have those those light bulb moments hopefully because if i don't see the light bulb moments and i'm like okay we're not doing something right all right So I think we talked about oxygen enough. We talked about getting rid of the waste. Glucose is important. Yes. That's not shock. That's not shock. That's that's that's, yeah. That's what I was kind of alluding to yesterday of, oh my God, this happened to me. I was in shock. We all say it's in shock. You're shocked because the way something happened. Uh, But typically there is different types of responses to that. That's that's more of a behavioral type issue. Yeah. So for. We're going to look at. Pump failure issues, right? If we have a pump failure issue, people can have a heart attack. They may go into cardiac arrest. They may have heart failure. They could have something maybe as uh, something that's causing the heart to really just not work at all. We have problems with low fluid where maybe this is a trauma patient. Everybody thinks of the trauma patients. They bleed out all over the place. Great, you might have that problem. The issue though is is that it's not always blood all over the place. It could mean that you've been diarrhea and thrown up over the past few days. Low volume. Poor vessel control. Vessel control meaning that this could be from spinal cord injuries, it could be from an allergic reaction, it could be from different medications. These start to lead us down a pathway of looking at different forms of shock, which what's that medicine? Oh, oh beta block, that's it. Yep, there's the LOL, right? hmm See, they kept it up Air Force for a reason. So now what I'm going to try to pull up is try to hit some of these other things and at least get it outlined for a little bit. So you already saw that um, on page 534, which was the same slide that we just looked at, um, shows you the difference of of I have a heart problem, I have a pump problem, I have a fluid problem. We're going to now bring from there, we're going to start moving forward with bringing out classifications of some different types of shock. So every time that I look at this, I always think that the best way that I can think of shock is doing this by a mind map. So mind map is, is that I want to put things that are common together. And when I hit a shock area, I have very common things, but they're also a little different. They have their unique properties. So with shock, if I have a problem with the pump, I would probably call it cardiogenic. And then I add the word after that called cardiogenic shock. shock. Okay, so I have a problem with a pump. I can have another form of shock called obstructive shock. And we'll come back in and take a look more at obstructive shock in a little bit. Actually, we'll look at all these here in a little bit. But obstructive shock, something is causing a blockage in the body. i got to figure out what it is. I've worked totally blanked. There's another one called distributive. Distributive shock means that it's probably affecting all kinds of systems, and there's various things that have happened to it. The last one that we will take a look at is hypovolemia, or hypovolemic shock. have a gray. Aha, they do have a gray. So now I put a little thing in there that is right down the middle. It's a kind of a gray area because it's called respiratory we don't really have a respiratory shock, but the true definition is, is that if I have a problem with perfusion and with respiratory, that may be an issue. I could have poor perfusion as a result of it something by itself. Um, so therefore, it kind of gets into an area where some people say it could be a form of shock, but um, I'm just putting it in there as a, as a option to say, hey, yeah, it probably could. But I also like to think that it has an effect related to something, one of those other four that are there. Okay, So when we come back from lunch in an hour, we're going to break down and look at cardiogenic. We're going to look at hypovolemic. We're going to look at distributive and obstructive. We'll talk about the treatments that are there. And then we will start trying to blend more of this together in our next section, which would be respiratory. Okay, So this is my take on shock. It's probably reducing the amount of slides that you would see, but it's giving you the same info. Okay? So we'll see you at one o'clock. It's gonna be just airway. Yeah, no. Got red lights and siren. I can go anywhere. It's not far. Just go up over the hill to Laurelwood. I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, here we go. So, cardiogenic, I think that we had saw earlier with cardiogenic that there was some issues particularly if they had an acute myocardial infarction. Okay? So, an acute myocardial infarction is somebody has a heart attack. So that causes a problem with a pump. It may not work effectively. Now, keep in mind that that problem with a pump could be electrical or it could be mechanical. So there is two different parts. Go back again to the perfusion triangle, a fire engine. It has an electrical system and it has a mechanical system. Right. So technically, technically they can run independently of each other, but if one part is a issue here in our pump, the pump's not gonna work well, okay? Another one could be something like, um, and I usually put this one in here because it happens an awful lot, which is congestive heart failure. There's a problem with a pump and it can't push enough fluid out of the left ventricle. So since it can't push enough fluid out of the left ventricle, it has a tendency to back up and it goes into the lungs. And then that causes a problem with the way that people can actually breathe. Okay. Now your textbook mentions, and I think it's in A, where that little, back up one, I think it mentions in here, it says about a pulmonary embolism. I don't buy that one in there because I think it's more of an obstructive issue, but they're, they're classifying it in three different areas. So if you see that, you're like, oh my gosh, cardiogenic shock. Yeah, I would not put pulmonary embolism there. We're gonna actually find that to be somewhere else. And then one of our other things, and I think Robbie hit this earlier, what did we say? Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, you had mentioned about cardiac arrest. So cardiac arrest would potentially cause a problem in cardiogenic shock. Is there any perfusion? No, No, they're dead. Okay, so that is the true form of shock. Like, it doesn't get any more shocky than that. So yes, that is that is a big 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 issue. So we can't really think of anything else that would be in there. Um, and while we're at it, let's just add in some things again we're kind of fast forwarding here, but it's it's hitting the material that we need. How would you treat a cardiac arrest? CPR. Do CPR, right? Okay? Pretty simple. How do you think we might treat somebody who's in heart failure or acute myocardial infarctions? Aspirin. Aspirin, particularly for the myocardial infarction. Continuous positive pressure? Um that may work. Continuous positive airway pressure may work for heart failure. So that CPAP that we talked about yesterday. Oxygen comes into play in all of those. Yes, ma'am. We can't do that here. Well, I meant like treating. We can't do that here. But they would get that, but they do not get it immediately. Okay. Yeah. I thought we did get, I thought we had on. The EMS units do, but we do not give it. The problem, the problem that occurs in people who have CHF mm-hmm. is it's a fluid backup. It's not a fluid overload. Okay. So once they get into the hospital, they'll deal with a fluid backup dealing with the overload issue as well. So, let's see, I don't know if I have gold in here, but we'll see. Um, We'll just make it purple. This is the mainstay of the majority of shock. Oxygen therapy, keep the person warm, and do a rapid transport. I can't fix a myocardial infarction. I can treat a myocardial infarction. I can treat that heart attack, but I can't fix it. To fix it, they need to have a catheterization. Heart failure, I can treat the initial complaints. I can help them breathe a little bit better, but ultimately they need to be admitted to the hospital for a more uh, mainstay issues of treatment. Cardiac arrest, I can treat and potentially reverse a lot of the problems that are ongoing with cardiac arrest by performing CPR in early defibrillation. In the meantime, I would do oxygen to all of these. I would make sure that I could keep them warm. So if I brought back the dead person, I want to make sure that I can keep them to the normal temperature. And then I want to make sure that I can transport all these rapidly and get them to the hospital as quickly as possible, okay? So those apply everywhere. And then there's also some little things that are going to be more specific. So you can see that cardiac arrest, yes, we did all three of those, but we add in an AED and CPR. Um, we add all three of those in there for the myocardial infarction, but we add in aspirin and potentially helping them with their nitroglycerin. Okay. So we get into more specific areas. That's why the stuff that's in purple is kind of like it's spread across the board. And then we have to look at specific treatments. All right. Which area you want to go to next? Obstructive. Obstructive. So the obstructive, since we already talked about this first one, One of those could be considered a pulmonary embolism. If it's an emboli, it means that there's multiple little clots that have gone into various locations. But a massive pulmonary embolism, oftentimes referred to as a saddle embolus, means that it's located in the pulmonary artery right where it branches off to go to the right and left lung. So that means that this clot is kind of stuck in there and it can cause a problem with perfusion. If it gets stuck in there and really, really causes a problem, it goes all the way over to cardiogenic because it can cause a cardiac arrest. So yes, people can have an obstruction in that aspect. So, pulmonary embolism. Transport for the, I'm sorry, oxygen, keeping them warm, and doing a rapid transport is essentially all we can do in EMS. Guess what? It's the same thing for me. I can't fix this. Yes? How in the, like, the pre hospital study can you tell whether someone's having, like, like, how can you differentiate these diseases if you're not working? This is the overview of all that. Yeah. So pulmonary embolism, you're going to typically find people who are complaining of shortness of breath. They may have pinpoint pain into one location of their chest. Uh, they may have a low pulse oximeter reading that does not improve with oxygenation. And um, then you have to find out about a history. And those usually point you in the direction of what you believe the problem is. Yep. So good news is we get into all of these things very soon. So it's kind of like the precursor. I've sent out the the line, and I go. Now you just went. Now reeling you in. Reeling you in. Okay, another um, obstruction. It's called a tension pneumothorax. What in the world is a tension pneumothorax? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. So that would be the pneumothorax. Now tell me a little bit more about the tension. Okay. It, It is trapped. So the pneumothorax actually is air- Trapped with inside the pleural cavity, but what makes it tension? Huh? Nope. Yes. Is there also fluid inside too? No, that would be almost a, that would be like a hemothorax. Yes, ma'am. It is air in a chest cavity, which is going to be the pneumothorax. So tell me about the tension. Maybe the tension it puts on the Not on the lungs. On the heart. Okay. <laughs> so it is. It actually puts so what happens is um, I really got to I'll, I'll bring in a model that I made of this. Okay? So basically what it is is I want you to picture a bloom and I keep on pumping up that balloon. But inside that balloon is another balloon. And if I keep on putting air into it, what's gonna happen eventually to everything that's inside there? It'll start to pop, there's pressure in there, right? So that pressure actually now squeezes against one of maybe one of the other smaller balloons. So that would be the heart, and the heart can't go boom, 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 like it's supposed to. It kinda is having pressure pushed against it. And it might just go like that. Well, that's not real good for cardiac output. So something that happens with me is that if you tell me, oh my God, I think they have a tension pneumothorax. And by the way, you can identify that by jugular venous distension. Breath sounds are probably absent or very decreased on one side. And you go, that's a tension pneumothorax. And I come in and I go, let me see what's going on. And we take off their shirt and we go to a rib and I take this needle probably about the yay long and I poke it in there and it goes yes yeah so we'll poke a hole in there put a hole in their chest and relieve the pressure Mm -hmm. and the air comes out and then we have essentially fixed part of the obstruction for now but they still need definitive care They're going to get some very painful things that are going to happen here in a very few few moments. They're going to get a big old incision over here, and somebody's going to put their pinky in there, and they're going to right into the side of their chest wall, and then they insert a tube. And it's hooked up to a suction that pulls all the air out. And they say, go to the floor. You're going to be here at least overnight. Yeah. A little bit. The problem is, is that there's a lot of nerves that are right underneath here. So it doesn't feel real good. But yeah, they numb you as best they can. If it's an emergency emergency issue and you can't breathe, it just happens. Yeah. They literally just, the needle's going to hurt, but it's not going to be like, oh my God, like I've just cut you open. They'll try to numb it a little bit when they do that. But yeah, literally there's a tube sticking out of you. was the pressure if, like, the lungs are, there's no leak in So the lungs leaked. Oh, they already did. So the lung already leaked. That's how air got in there. So air got into the enclosed space of the thorax. Right. Okay. So as it got in there, it had no way of getting out. The problem, though, is, is that there's still a hole in the lung. Air keeps coming out and builds up the pressure inside there. And now... The lung can't reinflate. A lot of times, the lung can actually it almost would seal off because of all that visceral pleura there. It can seal off, and it might start to reinflate, and eventually, the lung—the air that's stuck in air can just be reabsorbed wherever. That doesn't happen. It just builds up more pressure, and pretty soon, the worse it gets, it compresses the heart, and this area right here is called the mediastinum. I think we saw that in uh, the human body. Everything is kind of going down in the middle. And then we call it a shift. They do an x-ray, and they do a shift. So if it was my left lung that collapsed, it pushes over this way. And everything pushes this way. My heart now sits over here, and so does my trachea. It actually pulls over this way. And then after they pull relief this pressure, everything kind of shifts back to where it's supposed to be. Yes, ma'am. yep yep just to make sure it reinflates and it's like it just starts to heal itself yeah it's weird because you're like do they go in there and like put a band-aid on it like i i mean unless they go in and do any sutures which i have not known of them doing but yeah as i'm looking around anybody else know like i've never seen them do that yeah, it usually just heals. Kind of like a rib fracture, it'll eventually heal. How would someone develop that? Ah, oh, see, look at this. See, and this is a good part, because we're also in respiratory, which is like the next subject. So how could somebody develop that? It could be from trauma. So it could be from uh, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you realize you're going to be involved in a car crash. What do you do? <gasps> mm-hmm. You take that big, deep breath in, and you hold. <gasps> boom, you take a sh- shot to the chest, your lungs were inflated, and it's like a brown paper bag, they just pop. So they could pop that way. Um, it could be from a stab wound, a gunshot wound. It could literally be from medical issues. Um, usually tall, thin males have a tendency to develop attention pneumothorax, we call it a spontaneous pneumothorax, it's the same thing. They just develop a pneumothorax. Um, individuals that have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. They have uh, one condition that is in there is uh, emphysema. In emphysema, it causes the alveoli to become less elastic, and they actually expand a little more. So they don't snap back as well. Well, we call these little things blebs, and they may actually pierce a little bit, like they'll get a little bit more pressure in there, and they just like pop just like a little bubble on a tire, and that air just leaks out, so they can develop it that way. So multiple ways that it can happen. You can have a regular pneumothorax, and you can have a tension pneumothorax. We like the regular ones. They don't cause a whole lot of issues. And you can get air trapped underneath their skin, and it feels like Rice Krispies. We call that subcutaneous emphysema. It is cool, isn't it? Yeah, so I will tell you the best way to do this is if you go home and get Rice Krispies, pour them on your counter, put well, actually just put them in a plastic bag, not a lot of them, and then just push your hands down. And that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, it's like when you touch it, it's like it does feel like it pops. Yeah. 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 Did you have something else? Yeah. So... Correct. We're not going to remove anything that's in there. If there is tension pneumothorax, how would, like, you can't take the knife? I, I don't know. If they were stabbed here yeah. and I have a tension pneumothorax, mm-hmm. I go right beside it. Okay, so yeah. would the lung just continue to fill up, like, around the puncture wound? Like, no, and most likely what happened is, is that if they had a stab wound here, it, it pierced the lung, therefore it deflated. And then the problem now is that that knife is still inside the chest and it's, blocked the, it's plugged the hole. Oh, okay. So I got to create another hole for it to come out. Oh, okay. That's all. all right. Yeah. Yeah. See, you're like, oh, now most people that stab people, they take the knife out. Most of the time they take the knife out. Um, but that's still, you remember that pleura that we talked about? Damn, that stuff keeps coming back up. Because when, if there's a hole here and it's going, it'll actually blow little bubbles out. But it's okay that air is coming out. The problem is when they go to breathe in, it pulls air in. So they call it a sucking chest wound. It makes the sucking sound. So then what we do is we take something, we cover it up. No. No. We'll actually use a piece of plastic so that air, like it'll just sit right there, it'll seal off the air, the area. And then we tape it on three sides, air comes out, but air can't go back in. You fix the problem. The only problem with that, though, is then the visceral pleura, or I'm sorry, the parietal pleura um, has a tendency to kind of, like, go right over it again and seal it off. Then you got to go in and go, i got to poke a needle in it. But we don't go into that hole. Like, we go and create a new one. Just saying. (laughs) Okay. Ah, let's see other obstructions. I don't think there was any other one that was. Oh, yeah, there is. So we have a cardiac tamponade.
1: <laughs> What's that?
0: you just going to going to talk. No, no no he goes you go we're going to talk about card- <laughs> Tampon he goes that how <laughs> the way he said it So cardiac tamponade there is a sac that goes around your heart and it's called the pericardium The pericardial sac Let's see if I can move this Essentially, that's what it is. Just picture that they're actually touching. I can't do that. So the pericardial tamponade or a pericardial sac is a sac that goes around the heart. It looks very, it acts almost very similarly to the uh, pleura, right? So that lining, it acts almost the same. Uh, How many people have killed a deer? Okay, how many of you have seen the heart of the deer? Okay. If you ever look at the heart of a deer, even if you're dissecting these things in school, they have a tendency sometimes to have this little shiny thing that you can like move like there's tissue on the end of it. That's the pericardial sac. Like the heart actually sits inside of the sac. So it can actually take on fluid. So we mean by, and I guess we can define this now, this is a potential space. When I put my two hands together, This is a potential space there's essentially no space in between my hands but if i were to pour water in here they could start going like this and separate same type of deal happens with pericardial sac so i can have trauma i can get hit in the chest and blood leaks out from the heart because remember there are vessels on the outside and blood starts to fill up that sac Eventually, what will happen is is that they can't expand, so the heart can't beat. The electrical part is okay, but the heart can't expand, so it's obstructed. The other thing that can happen is, medically, I could go to the hospital and have open-heart surgery. They have to cut through that pericardial sac, so therefore it could actually expand a little bit more and build up with some fluid. Usually the fluid's blood. I can't fix that. I have to run like hell to the hospital, and then they go and they take this big old needle, and they go poof, and they stick it into the heart area, and they draw back fluid, and then once they draw back enough fluid, the heart actually starts to beat again. And they usually go to the OR and get it all fixed. But it's the immediate treatment, followed by they need to go to the hospital. The only thing I can do is try to give them a whole lot of fluid. And the idea of a whole lot of fluid is if, uh, if I give them something, that really expands the heart. Then all of a sudden, okay. Um, something tells me in your life you've had a lot of wedgies. That is oh, yeah, that is okay. That is I've been throwing in the trash can a lot. But... No wedgies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm just saying, like I've had those in my lifetime too. So yeah, it's okay. Like, it's okay to come out, Jay. So. Trash can. What happens to those underwear? they stretch and eventually they keep on stretching and you're like holy crap I can't believe they stretch then you let go and they snap back together and then it reaches a point though where they don't snap back okay we're trying to put enough fluid in there to be like the underwear to stretch and then eventually it's like somebody let go and they go and they snap back and it pushes more blood out that's all I can try to do expand that ventricle to allow it to stretch and then it stretches so far, and it snaps back. And then I can try to push out fluid. So I can't do what you do and pre-cut my underwear so that when they pull them up that. We can. Pre-cut my underwear. Decrease in. Absolutely. Yep. And it will cause a decrease in cardiac output. And that's a good reason why we are in shock. Yeah. And it will also, uh, there's some different things that we can see from uh, the way patients are. Remember how we said about listening to breath sound? Remember how we said about listening to breath sounds? That if, or I'm sorry, heart tones. I said, when we get your stethoscope, you can just listen to your heart to see if, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then we say, if it's distant, that means that it's try, we're trying to listen to it through fluid it's gonna be very far away sounding or very muffled, that's one thing that we would look for. Yep, yes. Can a pneumothorax be a result of CPR? Yes. Ooh. Yep. So like you fix one problem and then you have another. Problem. You can, for every action, there's a equal and opposite reaction. hmm I don't know what lot, but the third law. <laughs> wow, look at that, Newton comes back into play. I don't have a law. I don't have a law. I wish I had a law. So, I'm thinking that's probably it for that. If something pops up, I'll remember it. So, where do we want to go to next? I heard somebody say hypovolemia. So, we'll head there. I think I spelled it wrong. Hemorrhage. H-E-M-O-R-R-H-A-G-E. It's like that in diarrhea. I can never get to two of them spelled right. Yeah. Bleeding. A lot of blood. So if they have a lot of blood, could be what people would refer to as extanguination. They bleed. How would you treat that? Besides the purple things up there. Stop the bleed. We can't do that. We can't do that. EMTs are not permitted to do that. Oh, I'm there. Oh, I'm there. But yeah, but no, no, no. We're pretending that I'm not there. Yes. Do they do they mean? So that actually creates a big issue. Um, So let me get rid of that because it's so you had mentioned about so one of the things, yes, as a paramedic, I might be able to start an IV. The problem with that, though, is, is that if I give them fluid, it is nothing more than picture it as water. It expands the system. It gives me more volume, but it doesn't do anything. So at some point, this is really horrible. How do you put out a fire? Non-fire people, how do you put out a fire? Water. OK. So let's say that as a result of that, you say, We just need fluid. Somebody decides to go and put gasoline in the tank. And now you get to the scene of a fire. It has fluid in it. You open it up, what's going to (laughs) happen? And everybody's like, this is cool. Right? Okay. The other thing would be is all fuel the same meaning like in your vehicles Mm -hmm. okay so do you ever think that it would be smart to just take your car to the diesel pump and fill it up with diesel fuel Mm -hmm. why (laughs) so would it work Mm -hmm. Uh, it gets way into it basically the bottom line is it ain't going to work that's like putting normal iv fluid into somebody who's bleeding it's missing so many things it's pathetic the number one thing that it's missing is red blood cells and what do they transport oxygen Oxygen. so we have been looking for a way in which we could actually give them something not blood that would actually be able to give them something for oxygen so those are things that we look at that's why i was asking those specific questions so now we're looking at there are some medications that we can give uh uh that is Helicopters can right now in Pennsylvania, but not ground ambulances. They can give a medication, actually within about five to 10 minutes, will actually stop the bleeding. So we call it TXA, and we um, can give trans- transaminic acid. And we can actually stop the, uh, the bleeding will actually cease to a point, and then um, we have to make sure that they get definitive care afterwards, because it's not going to stay around forever. So to try to stop the bleeding and actually give them something to work with when we get to the hospital. So yeah, for hypovolemia, bleeding could become a big, big issue. So it could be hemorrhage. Another one is going to be fluid loss. Now, I'm going to come off of this with with two more. So with fluid loss here, we're going to say burns. So we can have burns, or we can have things such as diarrhea and vomiting. Now, fluid loss from burns, when you get burnt, if you think about, you go from the derm- or the epidermis down into the dermis, and then at that area, what is in there? Do you remember if we were to go back into the body systems and look what's inside that dermis there? The nah, some, but there's something else that's in there. huh? Plasma and starts dealing with some fluid, right? So... If we burn that, what happens? Why do you think you get the bubbling for second degree burns? It's the fluid. So that fluid comes out. If we get to third degree or deep, deep burns, then we get down into the subcutaneous fat and we have already burned through where all that fluid would be. That fluid still leaks out. It goes other places. We call it third spacing. It goes into places where we don't want it to be. We need it in the vascular system and it's not there. So, it can cause hypovolemia and cause people to be hypovolemic. Diarrhea and vomiting. Huh. What do you feel like after a night of uh, puking and pooping? The peas. Yeah, I feel a little worn out, right? So, literally, you feel empty. That's when everybody goes, Oh, let me go stand on a scale. I lost 10 pounds. Okay. So, when you see that you do feel like you've lost all that so then you have to replenish it and then you start feeling better after a while and by the way you will notice that if you've had that how long does it really take you to get back to normal if you're lucky yeah yes you know like Yes, there's other problems that can go along with that. So with hypo, um, going with hypovolemia as a when I raced, when I would go on um, the longer runs, okay. Typically, when you were under five miles, they were only having water stations maybe once or twice if you were lucky. When you go on anything that's a half half marathon or greater. They usually have them every mile after the fifth mile. Okay, so what they'll do is, is that they usually have water and Gatorade. If you are that individual who goes and you take water the entire time, you will wash out all the electrolytes and you will become hyponatremic. means that you have washed out all the sodium and everything that is within your body. You will get cramps. You will get sick. You will literally have a big problem. You lost a lot of sodium because you sweated it out. Water does not have sodium in it. So therefore, when these guys would go race, say, you got to drink Gatorade. So for me, I would drink water at one station, Gatorade at the next one, and just alternate it. I've seen people that have done nothing but the water, and when they're going across the line, they're going like this, and they're literally collapsing. They are just drained. It's not that they're hypovolemic at that point, they have an electrolyte imbalance, which could be critical, critically fatal for them. You know who else has hyponatremia? Little old ladies who drink tea and toast as their diet. Alcoholics, because they don't eat a whole lot. All you gotta do is go give them a can of condensed soup. They'll be fine. There's enough sodium in there to actually fix that whole issue. Swear to God. Yeah. You make them a can of condensed soup, like Campbell's chicken noodle soup, promise you they will be fixed within a, within a few minutes. Yeah tell the tell the alcoholics that it just has booze in it. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be fine, they'll drink it. Yeah. Yeah, so hypovolemia, those are some of the big ones there. Can you think of anything special out of those areas that I might have to treat? Like Vomiting for us, we're kind of stuck. The Only thing we can do is, uh, you know, kind of give them a bag. You may want to call for a paramedic. They may be able to help them give Zofran. Burns, I might have to replace some fluids. Best thing about burns, though, is what's the number one thing you got to do? No. Okay, right. no, ice. Okay. <laughs> no ice. No ice. I no ice. I remember you said something about it. I can't remember. The Stop ice? the burning. Yeah. No, that was for, um, oh, oh, that was for a fever. Uh, Stop the bleeding, or stop the bleeding, stop the burning, okay? Who grills? Anybody grill? All right, so when you grill, okay, if you don't grill, anybody watch the Food Network and watch those people grill? (laughs) Okay, that's even better because you're like, oh, I'm going to go try that. And then you feel like you're the grill master. And you're like, why? It doesn't look like it does on TV. Okay. Well, you take that um, piece of meat or kale or whatever the heck it is that you want. (laughs) Seaweed, the the, the mushroom, right? You take it, uh, the mushroom burger, you take it off of the grill and you put it on a plate. What does it continue to do? It continues to cook until what? It cools down. What do you think happens to your skin? You all know this because you go out into the sun, you're on the beach, you get burnt, you walk in, you're perfectly fine. Then all of a sudden you take a shower. Why? Five to ten minutes of actually running water over a burn will actually then stop the burning process. No, keep that shit out of there. Yeah, yeah, seriously, Okay, unless you're drinking it. Did you have that today? I thought I saw it today, Okay, So you don't want to put anything on those burns. For us, we do nothing for them. And by the way, when we talk about these, we're saying get rid of the sunburns. That's totally different. Complete and complete or partial thickness and full thickness burns, second or third degree is what people would say. You can wrap them up with dry dressings, but there's also some other treatments out there that actually is a gel that works a little bit different. And when you put it on the burn, it actually pulls the heat out. Whereas if I took um, gauze pad and put it on and then pour water on it, it, it it, it it doesn't pull the heat out that way. It actually like uses conduction and convection and it works in a different manner of how the way it pulls it out. Um, so that means that it drops the temperature of the person and that could become a problem so yeah so you have to stop the burning process Um, you may have to wrap it up and then um, transport them again back to the whole o2 warmth and transport them rapidly fluid loss don't give them anything by mouth we're not permitted to give them anything by mouth to help replace any of those things so it's all good anything else ice will actually decrease their uh, temperature It will make them hypothermic because all their protective mechanisms have gone away so who is all burnt who, who's had a sunburn recently okay and when you came in here if you happened to have it when you were coming in here or in an air-conditioned room what happened you got really really cold so i know that when i've been to the beach i'd be like oh man it's I like, get back into the room where it was all nice and comfortable, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm freaking froze. Because you lost some of that compensatory mechanism of the skin. Remember, the skin is to keep you warm. It's been damaged now. So, therefore, it keeps emitting heat, and you are still getting cold. Yep. Yep. I saw you. You're gonna be fine yeah we're not talking when we're talking these things we're not talking that you were the dumbass who reached down and grabbed the pan okay yeah no no we're not talking those those aloe and all that other stuff absolutely we're talking second third degree burns stay away from that stuff yeah we'll get more into that when we get into burns but absolutely yeah yeah if you were if you reach down to t- and you touch the exhaust on your on your lawnmower yeah you're you might put a little bit on there. But yeah. Yes, ma'am. We don't use wet. Always always end up using dry. Yeah. Yep. We do, I carry, um, in our ambulance, we have a thing called water gel that if you were burned on your face, we have an entire package that we put over your face. And it's wet, but again, it doesn't, it, it, it transfers the heat in a different manner. Yeah, it's not the same as water. They call it water gel, but it's not water. It's deionized water with some other preservatives in that actually suck the air or suck the heat out kind of like that whole air-conditioned crap Uh, somebody just told me about that the other day yes ma'am keep moving. (laughs) Literally, if you're in a house, you got to keep moving like that. But really, you just end up wrapping it. Um, Lady girl a couple years ago, uh, her 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 brother was in was significantly burned. And literally, his toes were falling off one by one. While he was in the hospital. He had what they would refer to as fourth degree burn. Uh, The worst part about him is is that he was still alive, even though he should have been dead. So yeah, he was in a burn ward um, and they did everything just to keep him as pain free as possible, which was meaning that he was so high on morphine and fentanyl and everything else that it was just a matter of time before his body wore out. He was on a ventilator and everything and then they just eventually shut everything off. Yeah, when your body parts are falling apart, just lay in there. Okay, anything else? Of blood in the field as a like So that means that number one, the bleeding needs to stop. But they also have to typically do a type and cross. They do u- use universal donors um, that they can carry in the helicopters. The problem is is that it's very expensive. It requires storage that is, I believe, no more than 14 days. It has a preservative in that we always have to make sure that we keep an eye on as well. And it's just very hard to manage. Yeah. Yeah. 14 days. The mm-hmm. helicopter services have a hell of a time with it. Because if they don't use it within 14 days, they got to get rid of it. Waste of blood. And it's a blood shortage. Yeah. I tried. They denied me. don't have enough iron. You don't have enough iron. Okay. All right. Move on to distributive. You guess so, huh? Yes. All right. So, distributive. We'll be on a break soon, so we'll get you there. Oh, you're okay. You can go. Yeah. I don't want you to flood the floor. So, we can start off with one. Anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis, whether or not it's spelled it right, I don't know. But anaphylaxis is one of those things that every time I think of it, I have to think of Hitch. The 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 show hit or I'm sorry, the uh, movie Hitch with Will Smith in Death on a Leaf. Did you watch the did you watch it? Hitch. Kevin James. Oh man, what is up with you people? What? Oh, don't even know what the show it was a Chick Flick too. Sure. I was actually going to ask you that yes, you were doing the airway stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, say someone does have a luggage graph, <laughs> or something and their airway closes and you can't get any airway in. So, that was a that came up here earlier as well. So if you have somebody who has a significant anaphylaxis, you handle the airway as best you can. If it actually seals off, the only things that we can do for anaphylaxis really is uh, from, from our EMT standpoint is administer an EpiPen and um, support their airway. If they still have significant problems with that, that paramedic needs to get there and do a needle cricothyrotomy. They need to put a needle in their throat. Yep. That's it yes, keep in mind, I can potentially die from crossing the street not without looking up and down, eating a sandwich, eating a sandwich yeah, yeah, I so said I could potentially die crossing the street and we're not looking up and down the street to make sure a vehicle's coming, yeah. So anaphylaxis is different than just an allergic reaction. Anaphylaxis means that it is significantly taking over the body and has created a big, big problem. So with anaphylaxis, and actually I should say with anything is distributive, the vessels... I like to think of distributive shock as like three diff- like the three bears, okay? This one here in the middle is the one that we are normally at. Your vessels usually then have the ability to either constrict, get smaller, or dilate and get bigger. When we're in distributive shock, these vessels have a tendency to get much, much bigger. Now with that, all this is a fluid. So all that little blue stuff in there is the fluid. What do you notice about the big vessels? Yeah, it's only about half. So what happens is, is the volume stays the same, but the vessels have expanded. So I just took a big hose and kept the same amount of water in it. You ever know that you do some stupid stuff in your life? Okay. Sometimes I do stupid stuff in my life too. I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. So I had a, I had a swimming pool and I was getting it ready for um, winter I I really got to drain some water out of here. So um, I'm like, but I don't want it to go down into my neighbor's house, like down over my hillside and into their property. So I decided that what I was going to do was go to the fire station and get an extra older, older size hose of like something I could put the garden hose in so I can extend it out. I didn't have enough garden hose and I wasn't going to buy more, okay? So I'm like, great, I'll take it from a garden hose and I'll turn it into about an inch and a half diameter, okay? Well, I didn't, couldn't find anything that was spare. So I'm like, great. So I find the next thing up. I'm like, oh, maybe it'll be like a three and a half inch. Couldn't find that. Well, I find five inch. Okay, so I go, it'll work, right? I mean, come on, How, what? I'll just like push it together a little bit. It'll get a little bit of air and it'll just extend out. Guess what did not work? The five inch did not work. And I said, you dumbass. Like, I mean, legitimately, I like laid this all out and I'm like, it should. And I'm like, I'm out there in my yard going, push together, push together, push together. And it won't work because there was just not enough fluid to expand or fill that whole container. That is distributive shock. I just don't have enough fluid. So now you can take my stupidity and say, you dumbass. That's what happens to your body. I had a pump working. it was mine. So anaphylaxis from an allergic reaction can cause that where everything in your system, uh, your vasculature I should say, gets bigger. Your bronchioles though get tighter so they constrict. Sepsis. This is from a massive infection. Yes, ma'am. Isn't that um, can't you get that from wait, is it a blood infection? You can that's one type. And can you get it from a urinary tract infection? That's another type. Keep going. I know that's all I know. How about how about like in these sides here? Your bed? Your kidney? Nope. Where am I at? Right here. Yes, your lungs. So that would be a which we could call pneumonia. 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 There we go. Right. So we have a pneumonia. We can end up with a significant pneumonia. COVID-19 could cause a problem. OK. Yeah. So sepsis is really a uh, and actually we call it septic shock, not just sepsis. But septic shock falls into that area. It causes a lot of dilation. And in addition to that, the dilation that occurs means that the um, organism that's actually causing it also has a tendency to screw up the membranes and causes fluid to shift in different locations. So sepsis, or you will hear people also refer to it as septicemia, is bad. I will tell you, septic shock is probably, in my opinion, I don't have anything to back this up just yet. I have to dig, dig into some more data. But I believe that septic shock is probably one of the most common shocks that we see in the out-of-hospital setting. I, will t- I believe it trumps hypovolemia. The only reason I can't say for sure 100% is because I'm not sure where we stand with cardiogenic right now if you want to count as cardiac arrest being something that's frequent okay maybe but I really think that septic is is the highest these are folks absolutely 100% keep them warm give them oxygen and this is a rapid transport to the hospital these folks actually both of these folks that you see up there Anaphylaxis responds with epinephrine, early administration of epinephrine. And what epinephrine does is remember that the the vessels are, are dilated. So if the vessels are dilated, when we give epinephrine, it constricts them. So it allows them to constrict, and then it takes the bronchioles that are constricted and it expands them back out. So now people can breathe better and they can circulate better. When I get to sepsis, the vessel's this big. So tell me about that hose that I had going into that big that five inch that wouldn't expand. How can I make that expand? More water. More water. So what do you think I can do? You call me as the BLS crew and say, I think they're septic. Or, or I can now give them fluid. So I give them fluid to try to expand that. That's not the know-all end-all. They eventually need antibiotics which is one of the newer things that people are starting to do across the country, is give antibiotics to these people early. It's been shown to reduce their risk of death. Another one It's called neurogenic. And with neurogenic shock, we actually have a lack of sympathetic input to a specific area. So what's the sympathetic nervous system do again? It's that fight or flight issue, right? Well, if I have an injury, and we'll say it's about right here right about my nipple line. So if it is here, people that are in neurogenic shock typically have this process in which they have like very little, any sympathetic input from the nipple line down. From where my injury is down, they don't have any sympathetic input. So as a result of that, this skin is now warm and dry. The skin from the nipple line up has had a lot of sympathetic input, and the body's saying, hey, dumbass, you don't have enough perfusion there, so what does it do to the skin? Clampy. It starts to pull things away, and they become pale, cold, clammy. They're in shock. So now when I'm assessing my patient and I come down this way, and I go, hmm. What I notice about the skin? Cold and clammy here, but it's pink, warm, and dry down here. That tells me I probably have a neurogenic issue. These people have a big dilation that's ongoing in their body with all this shock, with, with all of this um, nervous system damage. So therefore, that's what happens. Their vessels expand. So when you think of distributive, the vessels distribute significantly bigger. That's the way I think of it. they get bigger. okay? All right, let's take a break. We'll come back, I think that was pretty much it. Let me see what we may have missed. Yes, ma'am. I know it's just a few points, but I noticed that in the grade, I think you put my CPR grade as like two points lower. I was like at a ninety-four, and I think you put it in as an eighty-eight. I mean, you know, I'm still at the passing level, but I just looked at it. I'm like, oh my god, I thought I did higher than that. But oops, wrong one. no, <laughs> You yeah, have it twenty four. What I put it in as? No, no. Oh, what I put it in as? Oh, um, I think it was twenty three out of twenty five. Yeah, no, I can fix that. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. That's an easy thing. Ah... should be yeah should be updated Well, I did forget one. mm mm-hmm. Blue star rapid response. What does that mean? Means it's a COVID patient. Are you serious? Yes. Well, not have COVID. Huh? We don't need that. We don't need COVID. Yeah, we still have COVID. People freak the hell out about COVID. I have a question. Uh-huh. How do I get to that thing that we're supposed to do? Open right. that up. So launch that. Yes. Get it. Yep. Just Click launch. Oh, wait. Did it click say? Today's Wednesday. The 30th. The 30th. Okay. Just because that said the 16th, not that. We didn't do that. About. Just on the date thing that I clicked on, it just said it was the 16th. What? June 16th. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so I clicked on this thing, the link that you said. When it went down, it just said expiration date. Yeah, just hit launch. So it doesn't matter. What huh. Yeah. No, because that's like a couple of years in the future. Okay. Where what are you going to do? Uh, the thing that I talked to you about yesterday for the, so the interactive thing? Yeah. yeah, that is the. <laughs> so it's the medical overview, so that's chapter 15.
1: So then I just click interactive, mm-hmm.
0: and then. I do the whole thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. See, you had it. Oh my god. Uh oh, caffeine's wearing off. Um I have a question. No. <laughs> yes. Um I was a second degree burn and when I went to the ER, he basically did this thing where they're like there's salt like saving salt water on the wrap and they like no. wrapped it. It was like completely gone within like forty eight hours. Why why does that work? It's just so what, is, like, what is it, How does that work? I don't know what all they used. Like a lot of, but there is there is other things that are out there that look like that. That could be, it could have been the water gel or it could have just been, that they wrapped it in saline and then let it go. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about us not causing them to become hypothermic. That's the big issue. Small burns, totally different. Yeah, so if it was just in your hand or your arm, it's probably all, like, they'd look at it. Yeah. Yeah, usually when we get into more of those, it's like, ah. Oh. Yep. Wouldn't it stick? Yeah, they'll They'll leak. Yeah. yeah, it's going to stick. But here's the here's the reality: significant burns over a large portion of your body. It's sticking is not going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to you, because they're going to scrub it. Yeah, they have to get everything on it out of it. Yeah. <laughs> what even is it saying? It say how to get help when oh. you lose <laughs> time. Watch it. No, it was not helpful. You want more feedback? <laughs> 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 Would you press, it. Oh, I press, probably press I don't know. Oh, you're had a different question. one. What? This <laughs>
1: question might <laughs> be
0: one. Yeah, 75. You're oh, joking. Are you serious? Yeah. How was the time? 75 minutes? Yeah, see, I'll take the test. When there's a timer, the parasympathetic nervous system starts kicking in. No, the, sympathetic. Mean, the sympathetic nervous system. Epinephrine levels rise. Heart starts like you know how going into how much I can focus on the test when it's time. Because, you know, every two no, seconds you're in like, just in general. Uh, <laughs> and then you don't want to yeah. take too much time on it question, then you missed that question because you thought you took too much time, but really you rushed through no, it, no, no, no. and you got it wrong. Oh my God. There's always an excuse. Wait, wait, is it actually time now? Yes. How much? Are you supposed I think it's like two, uh, almost two hours. Oh,
1: we'll Hour and a half, two hours. We're sitting pretty.
0: Something like that. Okay. That'd be good. Wait, so how does the, is the Would you pull the door shut, please? Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, we hit a point in class, and everybody's like, I just worry about the test. <laughs> yeah. When's it closed? Huh? No, it's not set on Friday, except for next week. Okay, so, according to the schedule, on Monday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, we are scheduled to have our first unit exam. That is scheduled for airway and respiratory, which is what we're starting into here in a minute. No, this is practice, This is written. So, it is what is referred to as a FISDAP exam. That's what it's marked in there as FISDAP unit exam. It is a controlled test, which means that you will be taking it here. It will be done in a computer lab, and I have to be present while you're all doing it. It is a secured exam. It is uh, part of a larger group. It's part of FISDAP that these test questions have been vetted by um, three subject matter experts. They have gone through medical direction and they have gone through pilot testing. So it's uh, it is basically what we consider to be a high stakes exam. Um, The questions are designed to teach you or to to evaluate what you know. A lot of times people get very frustrated because you don't get to see the test questions afterwards. You get what's going to be referred to as a FISDAP learning prescription. The learning prescription says you missed this area, this area, this area. Here's what you specifically need to review. And you go, well, I want to see the question. It's not about the question. There's a difference between a quiz question and a high stakes question exam like what we're going to do right so it's a bigger exam meaning that we're testing a level of knowledge we're testing to find out exactly what it is that you know if i say that you don't know the anatomy and physiology of the respiratory system you say well i want to know what that question is the question's irrelevant you don't know about the anatomy and physiology of the respiratory system and there is a paper that is telling you you need to review The anatomy and physiology of the respiratory system. So what should you do? Go back and review the anatomy and physiology of the respiratory system. So I'll get to you. So it builds upon what your weaknesses are and you build on it. So it kind of goes back to the whole test taking idea of why are you going to waste your time on things that you already know about? If it comes back and says that you knew all about um, assessing lung sounds and determining what the breath sounds are, why would you go and spend more time on learning those you already know what they are but you just don't understand about the anatomy and physiology of the respiratory system so you may know one but you just need to improve on the other it is a timed exam meaning that they give you probably about I i forget what it is it's uh there's 75 questions so they probably give you close to two hours to take the exam the good news is that you can navigate all through there if you need to. You can skip a question and come back to it. And it doesn't. it isn't like the, the exam immediately shuts off. Like it doesn't shut off. Just like the quizzes that you have, they don't immediately shut off. They can submit it, but they tell me whether or not you did it. Like it tells me what you did. And by the way, if you didn't know, I can look to see exactly what time you started, what time it took you to answer this question, this question, this question, this question. So yes, nope, it's here. So after that, you get your scores immediately. So you will end up with um, basically two opportunities to take it, but you will not take that opportunity until later on in the class. Now, some people, when I give that to them, they're like, oh, well, I. You got a second opportunity, so I'll just screw around and not do well on it this time. Do not do that. So the idea of that is, is that, I think I said it in here, is if this is a 70%, for me to go from a 65 to a 70%, okay, I am now at the hardest part of climbing a mountain because I have to get over the top. After I get to the top, it's easy. It's getting over that last hump. That's you trying to pass it on a second time. Okay, So you do your best on the first one. And if then if you are like, hey, I think I can improve my score, boom, then we do that later on. That's how you get that second opportunity. The reason I leave it towards the end is, one, it's to help with grades to pass the course at a 70%. And two, it forces you to study so that when you finish up the course, you're much better prepared for the registry exam that you schedule soon after this course ends. So it's like a force you to study type deal. So everybody goes, oh my god. And there are people that have had this course in the past that will say, oh my god, you're going to hate FISDAP. You're going to hate the exams. So what did you say about the uh, Kahoot the other day? These questions are hard. Typical question would come from FizzDep. Oh, now you guys are like, oh, my God. It's, 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 it's going to be that one where only two people got it, right? I mean, <laughs> what's going to on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you. you got to have a positive influence. So I'm the one that does that. Yeah, no, no, no. I take the highest score. So literally, if you got a 98.888% and you're like, I want to go take it again, and you got a 50, I still take the 98.8888% later. Uh, No. No. <laughs> I just told you about the retest. I'm sorry, I'm looking at this big slur. <laughs> I thought it was on Friday. No, you don't The review's on Friday, the test's on Tuesday. I'm going to be in Florida. I'll be on the Zoom. Then I guess you'll just have to make it up. Oh, OK. Yeah. So if we take the first exam. So Your second exam doesn't occur until after all the unit tests are done that when you later in the course? Like yeah, no, no. Later in the course. Okay. Yes? Um, um, <coughs> uh, uh, test on <laughs> their way. <laughs> um, so is it like, so say we, like, pass, OK? When you pass. When we pass, yeah. Okay. When we pass, does that, like, count towards something, like, other than just the class grade? You're great. No, I know, but, like, like, there's nothing with, like, the National Register. Right? No. No. To qualify to go take the National Registry examslash state exam, you must complete this course. This is part of that evaluation process to decide whether or not you know enough information to be successful on it. Oh, okay. Yep. Are you allowed to have bad days? Mm hmm. That's why I give it an opportunity for a second attempt. You can't, it actually does not even allow us to schedule it on the same day. I'm saying it will not even allow us to schedule it like like we have to register FizzDAP and we have to get all that squared away. Yeah. So far, we're going to see. Yeah, if we need to make adjustments on it, we're going to plan right now for Tuesday for the respiratory. Um, and then I think next week it also marked that we were supposed to have cardiology on Friday. So those are those right now we're going to say that they are the respiratory. I would anticipate absolutely 100% not a problem because we're just going to hit that now. And I like to say that it also gives us a little bit on Friday to make sure that we can cover that. And then, um, getting into cardiovascular, we should, yeah. So what seems like it's weird in this aspect is if you look at the schedule, I think like cardiology, the only chapter that's on cardiology is BLS like the CPR and cardiology. So like it's only those two areas and you're like, okay, but we're already in, in doing different things. I only spaced it out only because of the timing of, I don't want to give you like a test to review and then another test. Like it's essentially what it is, but I didn't want to like say, Oh, here's the cardiac. We're going to have, this finished and then we're going to come back i wanted to at least space it out a little bit the way that we're going right now it may space it out enough that you guys be like oh we just finished it now it's still fresh and we're okay so on the respiratory, which chapters are in respiratory uh the ones that are actually marked in the syllabus okay. yeah so i have marked in the syllabus so far those are the correct ones yeah yeah so they would be airway and respiratory, as well as adding in the patient assessment. Patient assessment, I'm going to tell you, they are not asking you, like, what's Dcap btls They don't care. They're going to say you have a patient experiencing these breath sounds, this, this, and this. What do you do? And now we start getting into some of those. Wait, so we'll test, then we'll go back to class. Oh, yeah. No, I'm bad. Yeah. Unless you want to take it, like, later. I'll give you guys the option. It's your life. I had a a class that they they absolutely said we want to come in. We want to have our coffee at 8 a.m., and we'll take our first break at 9, and then we go to the computer lab. And I said, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, too. What about study sessions? No, we will never do that. You never, ever do that. Thank you. It will totally confuse the hell out of you. You do not do a study session prior to the test the day of. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, cramming doesn't do anything but help you with that. And then you get out there on a real exam and be like, what does a red light mean? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. no <laughs> that is the that is a certifying exam to do something like that is very expensive yeah. that's only for certifying exams so, yeah is this the one that's like 60 dollars yes this is the add-on so we have to, have to take have care of right so we're going to get that yeah we're going to get that squared away i have the stuff for fizz to be squared away we may have time for that today is that questions? huh is that questions? the fizz is 75 questions Starting the 29th of August, and our class is over the 20th. So, like, could I take my registry exam in Illinois? Yeah, your written exam you can take anywhere. Okay. The written, but not the
1: <laughs> Not the practical. I
0: have to do that in Pennsylvania? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I'm reason. Reason. Why you gotta go to Illinois? i right. my school starting in like the 29th. You come back for Christmas? No, I live up there. I'm moving. So, like, very, I can oh, come back. Geez. Like it's not an issue. It's like an eight hour drive. It's just like, I don't want to. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. We'll we'll figure out what's okay. going on there. You don't, want to visit. We're <laughs> really don't like it here? <laughs> like here? Alrighty, alrighty, all right. All right, all right, all right. So I did forget um, one thing and that was under distributive, under distributive shock. Actually, I forgot two things. One was under distributive shock. Psychogenic shock. Psychogenic shock is where, for whatever reason, there's a neurological issue that everything just dilates all at one time. So when you hear people say, yes, I was in shock because, like, they had that neurological issue. Uh, I don't want to say they received bad news. But for whatever reason, from a neurological standpoint, everything dilates and it causes them to go into a psychogenic shock. It is not them pretending, it's just that for whatever reason the neurological system has suddenly dilated and a lot of times we can it'll come back and things will be back to normal. I also marked up here under section thir- table 13.4, which is in your textbook, is a great resource to take a look at the different forms of shock and it tells you about the signs and symptoms of each one that you may find in an assessment and then it starts to talk about the treatments that you may look at so um chuck was here probably i think last year he was working on getting his instructor stuff and he was teaching and he always said you know i noticed that all the time that everything that is inside of a test seems to come from tables and my answer to that is no When we create test questions, they truly come from the subject matter in the book. It just so happens that the dang authors make a chart that makes it easier for you to look at things. So charts are fantastic. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many questions that come out of there. Remember, they're pulling things out to make it easier for you to look at. So that's why um, if I were to look at that, say yes, I understand what this looks like. It's a great resource. So I do try to quote some of those. This I am going to save and I can post this diagram into JB Learning. Tim? Yes? What's uh, the respiratory shock? Oh, so, why is it like that? Um, so, we kind of have a tendency to believe that because people are in some type of respiratory failure that is not related to a cardiac issue, so we're gonna find out about pulmonary edema. People are in pulmonary edema, that has a non-cardiogenic issue to it. Sorry. It has a non-cardiogenic issue to it. Um, So somebody who is in pulmonary edema, great. Great segue into all this. Uh, somebody who has a heroin overdose. When they are not breathing for a period of time, everything just kind of sits there. So all of a sudden, our body is in an attempt to try to breathe. So what's the most common cause of airway obstruction? Tongue. The tongue. Ooh, look at that. See, man. So actually, that's exactly what happens. Okay, so as you're laying back, your tongue falls to the back of your throat, occludes off the trachea, your body in an attempt to save itself is going, hey, dummy, move and breathe. And it goes. And you can see that they almost go. But no air comes out. What's happening is, is that I have my tongue that's actually blocking my airway. So the only thing I'm doing and why and and actually if you all tried to do this yourself, you will feel the pressures inside your chest change when you go. It's almost like you're retching, like you're ready to go. Like that type of thing. What happens, though, is is that it starts to pull fluid from lower pressures or I'm sorry, from higher pressures to lower pressures. So we'd have a tendency to pull fluid out of the um, blood out of the interstitial fluid, which is between uh, fluid can be actually between the vessels and the alveoli. And it pulls it into the alveoli. So now we develop what's called pulmonary edema. Because literally, they are trying to breathe against the what they're going to refer to as a closed glottis. The glottic opening is sealed off. So it pulls fluid. And then it causes them to go into pulmonary edema. That then means that they have low perfusion. They're not oxygenating well. And that's why a lot of times people say, oh, that is why they could be in a respiratory issue, and that's why it should probably be shock. That's why it's a very gray area, because I can make an argument that that is totally related to respiratory, but there are other people that are going to say, no, it's related to distributive because they have massive vasodilation as a result of the medication. Yeah. That's why it's gray. Yes, sir. what's the other edema that's pedal edema yeah no that's that's different it's still fluid but that fluid that you're talking about is in the cankles (laughs) okay the cankles those are the people that I mean literally look at the edema that you have I have I have chicken legs okay but I have, from where my sock was sitting here, it is indented. And eventually, and about well, long after I move that sock, it's going to go away. Actually, I'll just keep it down like that. We'll see how long it takes. OK, so it's 22. Yes? What is it? what? That's the table in your textbook on 13-4. I forget what page it is, but it is in the shock area. And it just, what, what, what page? Five forty four, five forty five. Are you planning? Oh oh dang. <laughs> when is it his turn to cook? Never. Never. You don't cook? Well, if I she do I grilled. Cook. I <laughs> saw her hand go up for a grill. If I do, it would just be grilled chicken and rice. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. all I'll have to eat. Wow. Alright. So uh question for you was or is was that the way that we covered that good, bad, or f- what's both? Both. 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 <laughs> this is that feedback. Oh, there's a lot of information. In one day, and it just, it, it's all, all high quality stuff. High yeah. quality H2O. <laughs> you know, you know, really <laughs> Okay, so so death by PowerPoint is a good thing. If I feel like I'm bored with PowerPoint, you're definitely bored with PowerPoint. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's gone down, dude. I've been in a gym like that for like an hour, and it just finally went away. So it's only it's twenty till. I mean, that's like a reserve for a while. And I hate these socks. I'm a I'm a like quarter cut below the knee, below the ankle socks, huh? No, you can't wear those like this. It's a dress socks, man. Yeah, dude. Well, you can get those like pants that are like tapered so you wear like the no-show possible, but, like, any, any, any yeah, no show no. socks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Suspenders for socks. They actually
1: make those, I
0: think. That's Yes, they do. What's that? Uh, it is a thing. <laughs> And they also make little things in your pants that can like be gummies and they hold your shirts in and wait, guy, these pants don't have it. dress pants, real good dress pants for guys. They have slits right here in the upper pocket so you can reach in and pull the, pull the shirt down so they're tighter. Yeah. For uh, every tux, if you, if you look at a tux, Those pants have those in so that they can, so when they take a picture, that's why their pants, that's why their shirts always look like that. Yeah. I don't, I only have a couple pairs that do that, but I'm like, oh yeah. (laughs) It beats me going like this. You guys are like, what's wrong with them? (laughs) Sorry. Yeah.